Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. Job 30, 26. But when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for light, then came darkness. It's a pleasure for me to be here again. And I'm especially happy today because I'm seeing a smile that I didn't see for a long time. That's Gary's smile. Like, long time I don't see him here. So it's good to have you back. Uh, I don't know if that's your first day here at church or uh, if you were here last Sabbath and I just didn't see because I wasn't here. But anyway, welcome. Welcome, welcome. So, uh, today, we are, I want to say uh, good morning as well for our viewers that are watching through the internet, especially those that are members and that were not here but because they are sick or something. In a special way, uh, those that are sick, we are praying for you. And I, uh, if you're good enough to receive visitation, uh, just send us an email, a text, or leave a message on the chat. And we will be glad to visit you. So, uh, can we have the, the screen, uh, David? We are preaching a series uh, that we started on the, before uh, camp meeting. And we stopped because su- summer vacations, people traveling. And this series is called God in Search of Mankind. And uh, in this series we are discovering a contrast between the narratives of all the religions of the world, the narratives of the mythology of the people, uh, the narratives that culture created, and how it's so drastically different from what this book tells. Because in all other religions, man has to do whatever to appease an angry God, and we have to do penance, we have to fight giants, we have to do all sorts of stuff. But in this book, God is the one that does everything to save us. And he's the one that came down to die on the Calvary. So you and me could have, uh, uh, our salvation could have uh, a life eternal. Today, we are starting the second part of this series. On the first part, we learn about the uh, one of the most, uh, actually the most, the principal theme of the entire Bible. That's about God and God's character of love. That's what the whole Bible is all about. Like from Genesis to Revelation is an attempt to show us who God is and how much he loves us. And uh, it's a, in the understanding God's love is a key principle for us to really be able to read the Bible correctly and to check if what we are reading is really correct. Because if we are reading something that does not uh, match well with uh, that character of God that's demonstrated on the Bible, chances are we are reading something out of context and we need to read it again and again and again till we can harmonize what we are reading with God's love. And uh, we also learn, we had glimpses of the other two themes, that is the desire of God to be with us, that's demonstrated to the temple tabern- slash tabernacle motif. And also, we very briefly mentioned uh, in one of the past episodes of this preaching series about the great controversy. That's uh, something that we don't really talk much about, but there is very present on the Bible. But uh, on that first series at the end, when we concluded right before camp meeting, I guess my intention was to bring everybody to the understanding that God is really love. Nothing that he does uh, is done without his love being in the middle. Everything he does is for our own good, even when we don't understand it. And uh, 
because God is love, he created us in, to his image to be uh, people that uh, depend on one another. We have all sorts of relationships from the most intimate ones like husband and wife and family through like church, community. And, uh, and that's because we are meant to live in the same sort of harmony that we see between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost with one another. That's why Jesus, on his last prayer, on John 17, he said, like, I pray for you, and by you he means the, the disciples and each one of us, that you be one in the same way I'm one with the Father. That was his goal when he came to this earth, to bring us to that sort of unity that we somehow we got out of sync with from God when we when Adam and Eve or first fathers choose to defect all the way back in Eden. And uh, uh, even today, if we really want to follow Jesus, we are meant to live in harmony with each other. And uh, not by ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, to also be in harmony with God and be able to demonstrate God's love through our lives. That's our whole reason to be here today. This was the book of the first part of the series. Uh, but on the second part, we're going to expand that narrative. Everybody likes to talk about love, but there is an ugly side that nobody really wants to look at it. But it's very important for us to be able to discern what we read from the Bible and even to discern how to decide uh, which way should I go today. That part of the gospel that nobody, no one of us like to spend is what I call the great controversy. It's a, under, it's a crucial part to understand because it's also one of those three repeated themes that we see from Genesis to Revelation. And the Bible, God keeps repeating itself and keeping using that theme because he wants us to learn some things. There's some things important for us as we stood it there. But before we start that, we really need to understand what's at stake. That uh, as we look to that cosmic struggle, uh, that struggle that caused separation between us and God, there's a lot of important details that they are hidden in plain sight. They are there in the Bible, but we usually don't pay attention to them. Uh, that's a cosmic conflict. A lot of stuff uh, happens in a realm uh, beyond what we see. And uh, it's like the story I told to the kids. Like Sometimes we are in danger. We are in the middle of a first battle and we don't even know it. But uh, the Bible peels off the veil of this controversy just enough for us to know what we need to know to survive and thrive and rightfully understand God and represent his character here on this earth. That battle between good and evil is not a battle uh, uh, with uh, angels with like flaming swords or something like that. It's more like uh, it's fundamentally a battle of ideas. Uh, and the ideas that are the main ammunition on this war is like who God he really is. Who is God? Is he good? Or is he like a cynical tyrant? Is he responsible for our evil? Did he create evil? Is because of him that we are in this mess? Those are the questions that emanate from that, uh, from that cosmic struggle. And the tension between those two possible answers, God is good or God is bad, is from that tension is that uh, the experience and the struggles that we have every day are born. That's why we need to understand it. Like uh, right now, for some of you, that may be a little muddy, but let me tell you a story that I heard a while ago. 
And from another pastor, I, I watch a, a preacher and I, I, he told that story and I thought, that's such a good story to illustrate a point. And I'm sharing that story with you today. The story I heard is, goes like this. There was a boy, he, when he was very young, his parents got divorced. So, and by several reasons, his dad has to move to out of town and live far away from him. So he could not come regularly. But that boy was so young that he just had like two memories with his dad. He didn't remember anything about his dad, but those two memories. And uh, through his entire childhood and teenage years, he was suffering. And he was really in anger because his father just disappeared from his life. While he saw like in people receiving cards, birthday presents, hugs, gifts from their dads, her dad didn't send not even a card, not even a peep. Like, and he started to feel rejected. He started to feel like that his dad was like such a horrible being because who does not want to connect with his ch child? And uh, because of uh, uh, that, of like that contrast between such a horrible dad and such awesome dad that he saw all around it, he started to develop like anger. He started to rebel. He eventually even uh, stopped believing in God, get, got out of church. Because in his mind, his dad didn't care. He was an ugly person. So, if the most closest thing that he has, that we have, like mother and father, were that bad, everything else lost value. He lost his trust in humanity and everything else. Wasn't until he was a full-grown adult that he, by chance, discover who, uh, where his father was and that he was still alive and he went there to meet him. He was not a happy camper. I don't know that details but I imagine on my, on my, my head that he had a baseball bat on his back just waiting for his dad to say something foolish and smack him. But he was like, he was not there to make peace. He was just there to like say on his face how such a horrible father that guy was and uh, because he was uh, in anger and he was deeply hurt by all the neglect he suffered he came there he dumped on his dad his dad said nothing he left the room the guy was like with no action what like he was thinking what are you doing but he didn't uh, take long enough to come back so he didn't have any time to react he came with a big box and uh, he brought something that like shook his view of reality. It was a big revelation to him. And uh, in this box, he had every postcard, every letter, every present, everything he had sent home on the past 20 years. All with uh, stamps from the USPS saying, Returned by the sender. Like uh, as that guy was processing all that. His dad kept telling like. That there was somebody there. That was picking up the mail. And saying. Oh that comes from his dad. Return it. So. He didn't realize. That uh, he was totally wrong about his dad. His dad was caring about him. His dad loved him deeply but there was somebody the original story the way I heard doesn't know if it was the mom or a grandparent or whoever I don't know so I'm not sharing but there was somebody that had a vested interest to not allow that little boy as he was growing up to know who his father really was and to know how much that father Loved him. And uh, my brothers and sisters. That's essentially. What happens with us today. On that struggle between good and evil. 
There's lies about God being circulated. There's truth about God being circulated. I grant it. But there's a lot of lies out there being circulated as well. And uh, uh, there is a, also a dark intelligence that we cannot see that's doing everything in his power to block you, to fully understand who your celestial father is and how much he loves you. And uh, why he's doing that? Because he knows that if you get the full biblical picture of who your heavenly father is, how much he loves you, and what are the plans he has for you, that will set you free, that will break your chains of bondage, that will help you to get free of your addictions, that will help you to deal with your past trauma, that will help you to make sense of the world and to... Uh, unmask the devil as the liar he is. That's why he's doing so much to uh, hide from you the full picture of who God really is, who our father really is, and uh, how he feels about us. How he ensures that we don't know about God. Or that at least we don't have the full picture. He bombards the world with lies, with all sorts of ideas. He doesn't care in what you believe. As long what you believe does not lead you to the God of the Bible. He don't even care if you come to the church. As long you keep just enough of church or Bible or whatever to feed your own wrong ideas about God and don't get the full picture of what the scripture is saying about the awesome God we have. That's why I spent the first part of this series just focusing in who God is and in his love. Because now as we go to the other side, we already have that well defined. So in that part two, we're going to be peeling off that uh, veil and seeing what else is there that we cannot see. And uh, the great controversy story on the Bible will help us to understand. But... Uh, we are not just looking that there from afar, like as a, just as an intellectual exercise. That is here for a reason. It's meant to be personal. It's meant to, like we are not only to see what God is doing, but what we shall do today. How those things that we are learning have practical applications for our life. So we can live in the way God thinks is best and in the way we bring us more happiness. And more freedom. But before we start our study, let's uh, bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we know that you are love, and we are you pray. We praise your name because you are love. We ask you, dear Lord, uh, come with us today, and as a, as we start to peel back the veil that forbids us to see. As we start to remove the scales from our eyes that uh, impede us to see your true character, your true love. We ask that your Holy Spirit be with us on your, in this journey. Because there is so much that we learn through culture, through our upbringing, through many different things. That are contrary what, to what scripture says. Uh, and even... On top of that, there's some trauma that we have on life that sometimes bring, uh, brings a different picture of God. So I ask, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit be with us today. As we discuss those ideas, as we look to those questions, and then start today to look to the biblical answers to that. May you be with us. May you open our hearts. May you open our ears, open our eyes so we can see, hear, and feel your word talking with us. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you before a few times that a bad theology actually hurts people. And uh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous because it gives you a false perspective of who God is. And also a false perspective of reality. And uh, it's like the, 
the story I told you just now about that uh, boy that grew up without a father. He, everything that the life taught him, made him make decisions in life. And, uh, but he was not seeing the full picture. There were things there that he didn't see. But when he discovered that, that changed his outlook in life. He bounced back and he eventually became, came back to the church and became a pastor. However, traumatizing that might be, like to discover that his entire life story was basically a lie because he was living under false premise. That sometimes is what uh, we feel today. Because the Bible is trying to tell a story about God that we don't hear it. And we are being told parts, parts of that story. We don't have the full picture. And sometimes because of things that happen in our life, things that we see around us, we make a mental picture of uh, who God is. That's in some, in, some, uh, in some terms is more closer to who Satan is than what the God of the Bible is. And uh, having misinformation about God can have a catastrophic uh, implications. Like there's a saying that people that deal with research, uh, they keep bouncing around. And uh, it's something like that a small mistake or miscalculation on the beginning can lead to a tremendous error at the end. It's like, let's suppose I have to go from here to the front door. It's a straight line. So I have to go straight. If I decided to tilt just a tiny bit to the side, perhaps that will not affect much. Instead of reaching the center of the door, I would reach close to the corner. But if that door was further away, I probably will not reach the door uh, either. And if th that door was like miles away, I probably would be in a different town because just a tiny bit to the side can lead to a very wrong place later. And that's exactly how we are today. Like we do, we live on that, uh, uh, we are on the beginning of our journey. And our journey leads to eternity. We have to follow to where God wants us to go. But in order to follow this, we need to go to know what, who God is to be able to understand his instructions. If we don't know who God is, we may parse his instructions wrong. And we're going to be ending in a different town. Not the heavenly town, a different place. That you don't want to be. So... My question is, do we really know uh, all that we need to survive? Well, that might sound a little alarming. Uh, and uh, most people, uh, they don't realize that with them, they bring a metaphorical luggage. Like, not like this one, but something that they have on the back of their minds. And in here, they have all the their life experiences, everything they learn in life. And when they read the Bible, they use everything of that as lenses. And that taints the way they understand the Bible. And that's why uh, sometimes, even if you are like a third, fourth, fifth generation believer, Adventist, you may know those things in your head, but you may not uh, put two by two, uh, two plus two together and see how they connect and how they should orient uh, your life today. So before we go any further, there's a, like in the way I designed that series, I wish I was in Africa. I don't know if I shared that experience with you guys. The first time I went to preach in Africa, I preached my regular American sermon, like 30 minutes or so. When I finish, the brethren, they're like, that all? Like, don't you have more? Thankfully, I had a few other 
sermons on the sleeve and I had to stitch three sermons till they were satisfied. So if we were there, I could finish everything I want to say in perhaps one shot. But since we uh, don't live there and I have my uh, respect for your time, I split this in a few messages. And uh, that first message will be the, a little bit more boring than usual because I have to cover a few things that are sort of ground rules, things that we have to know before we go forward. And then I'm going to finish with a biblical story. Uh, so I'm going to spend perhaps 15 minutes in that preamble and then go to the end. So you get home with already one implication for your life today. And then as we move forward, we're going to peel more layers of that uh, on you. So I want to start uh, with you opening your Bible in uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. There's a principle that we have to learn as we move on that. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, 29. I thought I had put here on the, on the PowerPoint, but I didn't, so I'm going to have to open the Bible. What's a good thing? Is everybody there who found the say amen? Okay, so Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord or God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law. In other words, what God is saying here, He told us, he didn't promise us on the Bible to tell us everything. There is things that we can't understand now. And he's not telling us. But everything we need to know to fulfill our obligations and to have a good relationship with him. He revealed to us. So that's the, uh, the first thing that we need to know. We need to know that everything uh, we need to know. Is there for us. But there's a lot of things that we don't know. And we won't, I won't go there. On our discussion. Here later. So. There's another thing that I want you to know. It's a. Uh, why do we need to know about that word? Why we need to spend time on this? First. Because we can see this. As we're going to see. In the next coming sermons. That we see. This war being expounded in the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And if in there, God wants us to learn something out of it. But there is another reason. The key point of that controversy, and we're going to go in more detail later, is who God is, as I mentioned. I don't know if you guys paid attention on the preparation song. The questions the kids were asking about like, who God is? Is he the creator of evil? Why is there so much evil in the world? That's the main question on people today. Like they are, people from our ages and our faiths, they are questioning that. And the best answer for this problem of evil is for us to understand the great controversy. What is that uh, problem of evil. There's a, a preeminent uh, Protestant scholar. He wrote this. Life is outrageous. Hardly anyone will deny that conclusion outright. Tragedy, pain, injustice, premature death. All of those and more waste us away. No explanation seems quite able to chill our anger. Hostility and sadness. So there's problems that we, we cannot explain. And uh, on of our own, I also wrote, Too many minds, the, too many minds, the origin of sin and the reason for its existence are a source of great perplexity. They see the work of evil, which is terrible. Uh, with, with, with its terrible results and 
of woe and desolation. And they question how all of this can exist under the sovereignty of one who is infinite in wisdom, in power, and in love. And she keeps going. Here is, the, here is a mystery of which they find no explanation. And in, their, and in their uncertainty and doubt, they are blinded to truths plain revealed in God's word and essential to salvation. So, when we don't understand, when we cannot conciliate those things, we start to doubt God. And that's why she's saying, if you keep reading, there are so many atheists today. It's because that paints a very ugly picture of God. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that theme. Because by going through it, by answering those questions, we will have a better picture of God and we will know how to live and thrive on this uh, war zone that we live. So, there is something that the philosophers call the logical problem of evil. That is a syllogism. It's something that reads like what this guy says. Uh, is he willing to prevent evil? Talking about God. But not able. But then, he is impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Hence, then is evil? Why there is evil? And that's the question that uh, bother philosophers and even Christians for the past two centuries. Like, uh, because they could not answer that question. But uh, over the past 50 or 70 years, there was a, a good resurgence of like Christian apologists that actually could explain this out. And they used something that's called the free will defense. We briefly went over that on the last part of the series. And basically it's like that. God created, because His love, He created beings of free will. So, because of the bad choices of his beings, there's bad things that happen here on the planet and elsewhere. So, that pushed away that uh, logic problem of evil. However, the problem of evil didn't disappear because we still have other things that cannot be traced back to creatures. At least not on the face value like natural, cat uh, natural catastrophes, earthquakes, and things like that. We can even talk about evil when somebody kills another, but their own bad choices, but not on those natural uh, uh, calamities. And uh, it's interesting if you ever read an uh, insurance policy, how do they call that? Acts of God. Because they are pointing to Him like, okay, that evil that's caused by humans, we understand, but that is on you, boy. That's, that's on you, bro. That's how they, they are saying uh, out there. So, and that's what the philosophers call the evidential problem of evil. That's basically, is like, okay, we get it that God is love and He's all-powerful, uh, but people do bad things and that's why we have suffering. But there's some suffering that we cannot explain. And that's you on God. And that's the problem that in some minds is still standing. But before you dismiss this as just as a philosophical problem, the same questions those guys are asking, they are on the Bible. Even some of our Bible heroes make the same questions. For example, uh, on the text that we was so beautifully read by your daughter Aaron, what a... Uh, Job says, when I look for good, evil came. And when I waited for light, darkness came. Like, I was not doing anything good, I was, but I received bad things in return. How can I explain that? What was the underlying question? Like, what's wrong with you, God? Like, what, or what, why I'm having these problems? 
And uh, we can see also Jeremiah 12.1. And the same idea appears in all those texts. And uh, don't bother to write down. I'm going to give the PowerPoint to uh, Carol so we, you can download all those passages. And what Jeremiah was asking. Why does the way of the guilty prosper? Why do all who are treasures thrive? In other words, why are you giving good things to those people that are so awful while I'm here, I'm righteous, or at least I try to be. And I'm desolated. My city is in shambles. Like I'm... And that's a question that you could be asking as well today. If I try to do what's good, why only bad things happen with me? And Malachi 2.17 and it's a thought that appears many other times, as you see the other texts. Where is God? Where is the God of justice? You sing, and if you read the whole text, he's talking about the troubles that are all around him, and then he claims, Where are you? Why are you not doing your job? And uh, then Psalms 10 1, and also verse 11 says, Similar thing and in other places says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in time of trouble? So those are troublesome questions that uh, the Bible is making those questions because the Bible will also supply the answers. And the answers are important for us because they will help us to make sense of the world around us. And the key to understand that is to understand that uh, great controversy thing. Even Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that is everybody's mind. And, if, and that's uh, our questions that need answers. And throughout the next few preachings, we're going to be answering those questions. And uh, there's a lot of alternatives out there. I won't not spend the time. There's at least like 13 uh, ways that people explain evil. They are called uh, theodicies. Theodicies is a fancy word that basically means somebody that's defending God. Uh, and uh, why I will not spend the time on that? Because all those theodicies, they basically try to explain uh, away evil and they end up hurting people and they they are bad theology because they paint a picture of God that's really not good and some of them and even the most popular ones I would say they even paint a picture that evil is almost like a, a necessary means to an end sometimes when I go to funerals I have to bite my tongue because I see some very uh, uh, good brothers and sisters with good intentions saying some things, trying to explain why those things happen, why that person died, and like uh, that because of those popular theologies, it hurts people. So I'm gonna focus from here on on the one thing that the Bible says that makes sense of all that. And that's the great controversy, because that's the uh, real true answer for the, this problem. The next sermon title will be called Theodicy of Love, because we will show how knowing that God's love and how understanding the great controversy helps to explain that. But before we go there, uh, we, uh, I want to remind you again. That we have to approach this knowing that we don't know everything. Although the great controversy concept is biblical, God tells there everything that we need to know. Not everything about that great controversy is told there. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to know just in that thousand years on that extended vacation we're going to have on heaven. Like because... Certain things we cannot understand here without seeing everything. Having all the information that we don't have. 
And although that's a biblical principle, that's not only Adventists that talk about it. For example, there's a famous theologian. He's a famous British writer and an Anglican theologian, C.S. Lewis. He says in one of his most famous books, one of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament, seriously, was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a might evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death, disease, and sin. Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. This universe is at war and it's a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by rebel, enemy-occupied territory. That's the, what this word is. We do live in enemy territory, and we have to know about this. So, why most Christians do not accept that a great controversy thing? There are two things that I, three things that I want to briefly mention. First is Adventist misunderstandings. Although Adventists, if you look to the scope of Christianity, we are the ones that talk more about uh, that great controversy thing. That only happens on theological circles. On the pews, we, don't, we seldom preach about it and people get their own ideas and come up with their own explanations of God. And sometimes those explanations, they repel people like so that's why we need to know and we need to be able to explain those things through the bible and the bible only so other people can understand there's another reason why because we grew up in a society where most christianity and and our philosophy is is bounded in, on that classic view of god that's the view that was held was brought in to Christianity, to, to the Catholic Church, but today permeates our Christianity. And in, in that view, God is like, He sets the destiny of everybody. So if God says Aaron is saved, He's saved. Doesn't matter what He does, He'll be saved. And if that's the case, there's no controversy. So those two ideas are antagonic. And there's another thing that's probably the biggest problem. Since the late 1800s with the Enlightenment, people started to negate the supernatural. I quoted here a Lutheran uh, uh, theologian for a reason. Uh, he died in the uh, late 70s, 78, 79. But uh, before he, he died, he was proclaimed the most brilliant Christian theologian of the century. He was very influential. And look what he says. Now that forces of the laws, now that the, the forces and laws of nature have been discovered, we can no longer believe in spirits, whether good or evil. So like people started to, even Christians, started to explain away like how the supernatural. Since they don't believe in the supernatural, they cannot see that war when it shows up to them on the Bible. And they cannot, cannot see what God is trying to tell them. That's why God called us to understand it and to share it. Because that can open people's eyes to make sense of their lives and see the true character of God. So, another thing to think about. Uh, Aaron, can you read this for me? Because I don't want to butcher. English is kind of old for me, so... Great Controversy, page 492, issue 3. It is impossible to explain the origin of sin so as to give a reason for its existence. Yet enough may be understood concerning both the origin and the final disposition of sin to make fully manifest the justice and benevolence of God in all his dealings with evil. Nothing is more plainly taught in Scripture than that God was in no wise responsible for the entrance of sin that there was no arbitrary withdrawal of divine grace, no deficiency in divine government that gave occasion for the uprising of rebellion. Sin is an intruder. 
for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, unaccountable. To excuse is to defend it. Thank you, Aaron. So, where we go from there? Uh, now I want to go to my conclusion. Uh, because we're going to unpack a lot of this through the Bible. And uh, further in later presentations. But uh, I want us to understand the basics today. To understand the most basic implications. And I want to share a story with me. You guys know that I was not born Adventist. I was not born Christian. I converted on my early teens. That was a very traumatic event. Because after my sister converted. Our dad tried to kill us. We were kicked out from home. And uh, I spent uh, 26 or 27 years praying for him. I wanted God to save him. I want to God to save my family. One day I was going through seminary uh, and my dad got cancer. And uh, he went to the city near the seminary that had the best cancer treatment for that. He went there, he did his chemo, then uh, I asked him, like, instead of believing on the hospital, because he just needed like a weekly sessions, come and live with us, we can drive you back and forth, and my beautiful wife did that favor for me, like, faithfully, and uh, during that period, he started to consider that we may, there may be light on Christianity, and uh, he, a lot of the prejudice he had, the love that was being given to him kind of paint a different picture. And to cut a long story short, like we, we, we brought him like to, in between sessions to natural clinics. He was like really blossoming to the point that the doctor said like, okay, you're good. Go back. We just need to go back in a year because we, we need to do a surgery of a different disease that he had, but he could not operate. He was like a heavy smoker for years. So he had a lung thing that needed to be operated, but he could not do because of the cancer. So when the cancer was reduced, he needed time to rest and heal, to recover his energy so he could be operated. So he went back home. Then one day uh, I felt the impression that uh, like was uh, what we call carnival. It's like the, a very big deal in Brazil. It's like uh, that Mardi Gras in, uh, in New Orleans. It's like a same thing with a different name. It's usually month before Easter. And uh, this week, usually schools close unless you are in the Adventist seminary. They make you study the whole week. But I decided like to skip those classes and go and talk with my dad. God put that burden on my heart. So I spent there a few days, I spoke in a few of the uh, camping retreats that they do, like, like all the pastoral districts, they do all the district meetings on that time, because since everybody's naked on the streets, they want to be far, far away from it. So I spoke in a couple of those, and at nights I was talking with my dad. On the day before I came, I asked dad, dad, do you want to be baptized? Do you want to surrender your life to Jesus? And he said yes. So I went back home. That week, he spent his first full Sabbath. He even went to church, if I recall correctly. He didn't open TV. He didn't open his newspaper. He really embraced it. That night, uh, they were praying uh, to sleep with my mom. He fell asleep and never woke up. He died with a pulmonary embolism. That, that thing that he needed to get operated, but he didn't have chance. And he died with that. So three days later, I was back there to do his funeral. I was there to give support to my mom to do the funeral. But I was filming. I was making those types of questions to God. Like, what's wrong? Why you, did you do that? Like, I prayed for 27 years and I, I was feeling like a kid. Like that... Uh, it's saved the whole year, the, his lunch money, to buy something, a private thing. And like, when he gets off the store, somebody takes it, trumps on the ground, 
stumped, breaks all apart. That's how I was feeling. Because I was just like, I just got the wrap out of the lollipop of like having my dad as, I wanted to have that relationship with him that I never had. And I felt betrayed. And uh, was on that point that I started to study this even more. Like, because there must have a reason why those things. And there's two texts on the Bible that got me hope. And I want to share those two texts with you. The first one is John 11. I don't have on the screen because I was not planning to tell that story. So, John 11. You know the story. Jesus is going back to Jerusalem and he heard his friend Lazarus is dying. By numerous reasons, he holds his visit. Lazarus died. Four days later, he arrives and Lazarus is already there for long. And uh, when he is approaching, verse 33 says, Therefore, when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews came, who came with her weeping, he groaned. The Greek word there means like he, he was like he couldn't, he was shaking. He groaned and his spirit was troubled. Two verses later says, Jesus cried. And then I start to think, why Jesus cried? Because he knew five minutes later he would say, Lazarus came out. But that taught me that when we are in trouble, sometimes God cannot help for reasons we're going to, some we're going to only know in heaven, others we're going to see what the Bible tells us uh, on the next uh, sermon. But even when he can, even when he has to wait a little bit more, he sees us suffering and he suffers with us. He feels your pain. He felt my pain. He felt the pain of Mary. Although a few minutes later he was resurrected, but he was there as well on the pain. As he is with you. I don't know what you are going through. But God is with you through that. He feels your pain. And the other story I want to share. That, wa- that bring me hope. On that. Is the story of. Uh, Matthew 13. Starting on verse 24. That's a very well known parable. But it's one of the greatest depictions. Of the great controversy on the Bible. And I will spend the next five minutes to read it and make a few comments before we finish. Uh, The parable starts like that. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And uh, who is that man? If you go to verse uh, 37, he says, He who sows the good seed... Is the son of man. So he makes no doubts. This is him. It's God. It's Jesus. How the parable continues. Verse 25. But while a man is left. His enemy came. And sowed tares among the wheat. And went this way. And tares are very uh, nasty wheat. But when the grain had sprouted. And produced a crop. Then the tares also appear, appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow the good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? Who are those? Those are the angels. And they asked God, uh, What that question? Did you not plant good tares on the field? What that means? What they were really asking? What did you do wrong? Why, if you did what's right, why we have the bad uh, crop as well with the good? And that's the basic question of the great controversy. Is against the character of God. The, the, those seeds that were sown, they 
are real. They are all the lies that Satan wants to put on our hearts that sprawl that, those questions. And uh, what was interesting to me was God's answer here. He said to them, an enemy has done this. So what's God's answer for the problem of the evil? It's the enemies. That's not me. He is the ultimate cause of all the evil. When bad things happen with good people, he is the instigator. We saw this on the experience of Job that we're going to go in detail later. He was the one that caused all that evil, not God. God is good and he wants our best, but the evil one wants to deface God's image and he wants to put everything, he wants to pin everything on God. He is that thief that does his theft, does his crime, and wants to pin in somebody else's. And that somebody else's is God. And then the angels ask uh, on verse 26, do you want us to then to go and gather them up? Can we take those bad things apart? And what God says, he said to them, no, sorry, but he said, no, least while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat, the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I you say to the reapers, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat in my barn. So, what's the application for us today? God cannot solve the problem of evil right now. Because if he does it, it would cause more harm than good. Sometimes we don't understand why. Sometimes he gives us answers later in life. Sometimes he, you only have those answers on eternity. But we have to trust in his love. And say that when he says wait. Because when all things are clear. And that's the, the biblical picture is very clear on that. That's the end of time when Jesus comes back. Then the world will be polarized. Just the wheat and the tares. Then he can bundle. He can get us back home. And solve the problem of evil. Forever and ever. Like even on my own story. How that story ended. Like uh Months later, I shared my dad's testimony on the funeral. And then my mom called me months later. Like a lot of my relatives, they knew my dad was not a, a, easy, a easy guy. He, they knew that he was like a very crude person. They saw his transformation. They saw I'm telling the story. And they wanted to know more. My mom started to work with some giving Bible studies. And a few years later, I ended up coming back to that city. And uh, I have the opportunity to work with many of my cousins and other family friends. And uh, in leading them to Jesus because of that. Because of my father's testimony as his dad. Not always we have our answers. But we have to trust that God knows best. So, I don't know what problems you have in life today. But uh, bear with God. Keep faithful to Him. And never doubt His love. Because at the end, He wants to remove all evil from our life. And He wants to bring us to live with Him forever. Let's pray. Dear Father in Heaven. We may have pain and suffering in our life. We may have trauma. We may have all sorts of things going wrong. But help us never lose sight that that's not in you. Our enemy did that. Help us to understand that when we suffer, you are there with us. There's a war going on. And the enemy wants just that. He causes sorrow and problems so we can doubt you. So we can... Uh, I also join the bandwagon and start to mischaracterize you. Help us never lose sight of your love. Help us to 
faithfully believe on you that at the end, our evil will be removed from our lives and we will live with you forever. And we will uh, be in a place where there is no death, no suffering, and no more tears. Help us to live today with hope, even amidst our problems in life. Hoping, uh, hope that's found, uh, it's based on Jesus, based on, on your love, and based on the hope that we have to be with you forever. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.